0: Would you do me a favor? I have had some amazing news. My book, Past Lives with Pets, was nominated for a Visionary Award for 2020. Thank you so much to everyone who supported this book and who supports my work over the years. I am so very grateful, and I need your help. Would you vote for my book? You can do this by going over to my website, at pastlifelady.com. Click on the blog link and it'll take you to a short article I wrote and the link is there. The votes will be counted up until April 30th. And just know I am so very grateful for your support and friendship over the years. I've got tons of new books coming out um, over these next few years that I hope you will love as well. Just remember when you do this survey, it's going to take a little while There's many, many categories, and you won't see past lives with pets until you get pretty far down the survey. You do need to answer every section of the survey in order for it to count. And just know that I'm grateful for the few minutes of your time, and just know it means the world to me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Namaste. This program provides content related to educational, medical, and psychological topics. As such, listening to the program implies your acceptance of this disclaimer. Welcome to Healing Arts. I'm your host, Dr. Shelley Care. Hey, my friend, how you doing? All right. I am super excited because we are on part two of three with my interview with my friend and mentor, Dr. Raymond Moody. So if you haven't already, I highly recommend you stop this right now, go back and listen to the first part of this interview, check it out. And then today, what we're going to do is we're continuing our discussion about Raymond's new book, God is Bigger Than the Bible. And in this episode, we're going to talk about how, you know, we have interpersonal relationships and miracles in our lives that seem so mystical when you really get your mind wrapped around it, that only God could have had a hand in some of the miracles that are going on in our lives. So let's settle in and check it out. Welcome back to Healing Arts. I've got my amazing special guest and special friend, Dr. Raymond Moody, with me. So, his book, God is Bigger Than the Bible, is incredible, and you need to check it out. So, one of the things you talk about in the book, Dr. Moody, is the fact that God participates in our interpersonal relationships. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, a long time ago, um, I had the privilege of taking Dr. Moody's psychomanteon training based on his amazing book reunions where we go and we have visionary encounters with our deceased loved ones and you know as a hypnotherapist i guide people into places in their mind where they can have these experiences but you've created this process by which we build an actual physical structure and people have real experiences and that training was one of the most amazing that i've ever been through Mm -hmm. in my life and there is where I met um, a friend from the Edgar Casey Foundation and then I went on to become friends with them and write some books for them and so you know it speaks to what you're talking about in the book through some of your stories which I want you to share here how we meet certain people and then they lead us down paths that we were perhaps meant to go down in order to connect with people who we were destined probably to meet
1: yeah, yeah. and you
0: talk about your house and you'd had this vision of this certain kind of home that you wanted to live and how it kind of manifested itself years later. So I was wondering if you could share the story of your gristmill.
1: Yes, this is a long story, but I was... um... Back in, my uh, uncle Fairley was the chief law enforcement officer of a little town in Georgia for 30 years. Matter of fact, when Fra- Fairley retired, they had to hire three officers to take his place. So I, I come from sort of a law enforcement family, a lot of relatives and all. And so one day in 1964, um, Fairly was going his rounds and I was riding with him. I, that was all back then. It was, you know, no, no big deal. And so, um, so he was riding through a very remote area out in the country and we came across this old grist mill. And for the young people, what that is, it's a big building with a wheel on the outside turned by water that they had a stone inside and they would ground corn and, um, wheat and to flour, right? So in the middle of nowhere, I just saw this place and I immediately fell in love. I said, oh, that's, that's great. That's where I want to live. And so for the next several summers, I looked all over Georgia for old grist mills. And uh, I realized that, you know, there's few and far between and the people who own them don't want to sell them, right? So I'd sort of surrendered that. And in the meantime, I, uh, in 1965 at University of Virginia, I got to know Dr. George Ritchie, who was a professor of psychiatry at um, the University of Virginia at that time. And I had heard about near-death experiences from reading about them in Plato several years before, but George was the first living person I ever heard this story from. And uh, it just changed my life in 1965. I didn't know what it meant, but I knew that George Ritchie was real. And he was, um, to this day, he was just the greatest, he was the finest person I ever knew. And uh, so um, George's experience took place at Camp Barkley, Texas in December, 1943, when he was a uh, recruit in the army, okay. And my mother and father are from Porterdale, Georgia. And George was from Richmond, Virginia. So wow. anyway, went through graduate school and, and as, as a philosophy professor and later medical student, I was gathering all these cases of near-death experiences. And um, in uh, 1960, in 1974, or early 76 I graduated from medical school at the Medical College of Georgia and so I decided to go back to Charlottesville, Virginia to do my psychiatry residency up there okay and when by my book Life After Life was published in November of 75 right and I dedicated it to George Ritchie that was the only link I'd had with him all those years was I called him and asked him if I could dedicate my book to him. So, in uh, in, graduated from medical school in January of 76 and went up to Charlottesville in March of 1976 to um, interview for my psychiatry residency. So as long as we were there, I just called Dr. Ritchie and just said hello and so he was very nice and said well come on over to dinner tonight so we had a great meeting then the next day we flew back to Macon Georgia where my parents lived and um, so that night I was sitting in my mom and dad's den just talking with my dad And I just casually mentioned that the night before, I had been with this Dr. George Ritchie, who was the first living person I heard this near-death experience from. Wow. And so by then, my father had heard a tape of George Ritchie's experience. And so I can tell you exactly what my father said, the exact words, because number one, it was extraordinary. And second, because I understood by then as the and my studies in psychiatry, that when people get anxious, they develop what's called telegraphic speech. Sounds like they're talking in a telegram. And so when I mentioned Dr. Ritchie, dad said, "Huh, That's, that's really interesting. George Ritchie, Camp Berkeley, Texas, December, 1943. He said, you know, I was there. And so were you. And what had happened was unbeknownst to me, my mom and dad had moved from Porterdale in early September 1943 so that my dad could go to officers candidate school. George, I was conceived in late September 1943. George's experience took place in uh, December 24th, I think it was 1943, and my mom and dad moved away from Camp Barkley back to Porterdale in um, in, ni- in uh, December 29th, 1943. So I was there in Europe when this experience took place, Unbelievable. which changed my life. Now, now, flash forward years later, I was a professor of psychology at West Georgia College and in Carrollton Georgia and this was 1989 and i had been i realized the um i'd sort of discovered the thing about the cyclomanthean you were talking and i needed i'd done some of it and i needed a place out in the country to do some research and writing and um So, but I looked all around Carrollton, but the prices there were just out of reach because this was near Atlanta with real estate uh, market, like it was, and I just couldn't afford anything that I found, so I was kind of discouraged. And in November of 1989, I walked into the psychology department office one afternoon and Nancy Gillespie, who was the psychology department secretary Said, you know, Raymond, she said, if you just go right across the state line into Alabama, she said, you know, it's just 11 miles. And she said, over there, the real estate values are just you would be amazed. You'll be able to find a place that you can you can afford. And so, as you know, Shelly, but maybe many people don't, but I have no sense of direction. Right. You always had drive around. I don't know. I never know where I am. (laughs) <laughs> and I, I mean, I don't have that kind of mind. Right. So I called a friend of mine, Robin, who lived in Atlanta, but she was from Alabama and she was a real estate agent. And I said, Robin, would you find me a place over in Alabama? I didn't say where. I didn't say anything about an old brist mill. I had given that up years before. I right. just said, I want to find my only criteria was it's a place out in the country where you know, I, it's kind of rural area and that um, that it's, uh, it's close enough to the state line where I could get back and forth three times a week to do my teaching. So in January of 1990, one evening, she called me up. She said, Raymond, can you go to Alabama tomorrow? And I said, well, sure. I didn't know where we were going. And she she didn't even tell me because she knew I wouldn't compute with me anyway. I just that my criteria was it had to be close enough. So on the way over there, she said, the reason why she was going to this particular county was that her son's best friend was uh, the chief law enforcement officer of this little area. And so, or the chief deputy, and uh, that he had read my book and that he was willing to take the day off and to take us around this little county. and. And so anyway, we got there and the sheriff was uh, taking us along this whole country road. And I saw this little Victorian cottage with a sign out front for sale. And I said, oh, that's a beautiful place. And so uh, Don, the sheriff, looked at the sign and he said, oh, the, the real estate agent's name on there was Kirk Moore. And he said, oh, Kirk is a good friend of mine. Let's go to his office right now. This was in the era before cell phones. Okay, so <laughs> the Don, the sheriff, just took us up to Kirk Moore's office. And um, I said, I'm, I'm looking for, I'm interested in that little Victorian cottage you have for sale. And I'm, I was standing up in Kirk's office and I was sort of looking at him from the side. And uh, he said, well, what are you looking for? And I said, "Well, I'm a psychiatrist. I'm looking for a place out in the country to do some research and writing." And I saw Kirk's eyes like go up, and he said, "Well, let me take you by a place near where I live." So we down this long country road across this old trestle bridge to an old grist mill. Oh my
0: God!
1: And you know, I thought, I mean, am I dreaming or what? <laughs> and so Kirk said, well, you know, he said, the reason I'm showing, he said, actually, it's not for sale. He said, but the reason I'm showing it to you is that the elderly couple that lived there, Captain and Miss Dore, they had raised their family and their kids had moved out of town. This is way out in the middle of nowhere then. And so so um, they had raised their kids and their kids had moved into town. And so the kids who went to Kirk's church were worried about their parents living alone out in this old gristmill that was built in 1839 out in the middle of this you know country area so kirk said that they had asked him whether they he could possibly try to ease their parents out of the gristmill so we went back to kirk's office and just you know saw the gristmill then went cuz there were no cell phones, right <laughs> so we went back to Kirk's office and he called Mrs. Doerr in my hearing. And he said, Ms. Dore, I've got this man from out of town. And um, he, you know, can I bring him by and see your house? And I heard her, she talks pretty loud. She said, you can, Kirk, but we're not gonna sell our house. We love this place, blah, <laughs> so, so back in the car, back out, back across the bridge and back to the old mill. And so I went in and I took Miss Dore's hand and shook her hand and I said, my my name is Raymond Moody. And she said, Raymond Moody, Raymond Moody. She said, are you the man that wrote that book? And um, she led me to the, the bookcase beside the fireplace. I can show you the exact place. And she drew out George Ritchie's book to which I had written the former and she put it in my hand and opened it to his inscription to them. And she said, well, you know, Dr. George Ritchie is one of our dear, dear friends. She said, this must be a sign. So that's how I got my gristmill. And, um, you know, that that George, I think that God you know that some my thought is that we can I feel like my relationship with George Ritchie began before I was even born when I was in in utero right and then there have been other things like that too where just at critical moments of my life George Ritchie just sort of magically appears so
0: I think it's amazing do you think that we um through god's help that we're glimpsing future events god's kind of dropping a few clues and a few breadcrumbs so that when we do like in your case get to the grist mill we go wow i can't believe this i haven't thought of this in years you know
1: yeah you know, so yeah like that. i mean and again I we just don't given understand that but, that's right know. i had given that up i just thought it was unrealistic and then you know but god had a different idea and he led me there and i you know i think that um in philosophy, uh, a, as you know, Shelley, one of the great philosophical questions is, what are we? I mean, what is the nature of your personal identity? And uh, in the West, it was really Plato got it started kind of. It's like the that our actual essential identity is the immaterial soul, right? And that... Um, the body, Plato said, that's just like a garment, or you cast that off, and it's unreal anyway, but the actual you is your immaterial soul, and, and, which is immortal. And then that sort of stuck, and then it was sort of doctrine, you, I guess you could be sent to the stake in the Middle Ages for denying that. But then once things loosened up a little bit, it got to be Thomas Hobbes, the philosopher, said, well, you know, there's something wrong with the notion of an immaterial soul. I mean, what does it mean? It's like <clears throat> people question what it even meant. And then John Locke, who was the English philosopher who had a lot to do with our constitution, got to thinking about it. And he said, what constitutes us is our memory." Right. That you are your yourself as your memories. And um, but where I have come to on that philosophical question is, I think that we are our stories. You know, a lot of li- people listening to this are too young to remember who Elie Wiesel was. but You probably remember. He was back in the 60s. He was a Nobel Prize winning author, literary, literary figure. And he had been to Auschwitz and survived. And he was just a very kind and wonderful and deep man. And in one of Elie Wiesel's books, I read the following statement, God made man because he loves stories. And I think that's right. What are we but our story? You know, it's your essential self identity is the story. Even your consciousness is geared to make a narrative, right? Like what happens whenever some new event takes place in your life, what do you do? Your mind integrates it into your continuing story, right? right. So consciousness is narrative based. Human consciousness is to spin a story. And back in um, a year, I was doing as a geriatric psychiatrist, I was... um I was older when I was doing my psychiatry residency because I'd been through the PhD in philosophy route and I'd also um, been three years of philosophy professor. So I was older than the other guys. Plus I was known for this book. So in this town, they, they needed to have somebody to man the what you call the vip clinic right because you know the the mayor or the chief of police or the people on the city council or the local celebrities they can't present themselves to the front door of the psychiatric clinic like the rest of us peons right, right. they gotta be sneaked in the back <laughs> so <laughs> for this wonderful year i was it's, it's, talking with the elderly movers and shakers of this little town and um You know, they were there mostly for situational stress or just to have somebody to talk to out of loneliness or whatever. So it was wonderful for me. And I would just repeatedly during that year, I heard the same reflect. And these were reflective people, you know, looking back on their lives. And they said, Raymond, the older I get, the more this uncanny impression develops that my whole life has been a play or a story or a movie or a whatever the, you know, different words. But um, yeah. then I heard uh, Joseph Campbell, the mythologist, make the same remark on one of his tapes too. And so I've just come to see, and I've heard this from people all over the world, that the older you get, the more, when you look back at your life, you see it's, it's like a story or a narrative So that's what I think we are. I think that we are God's stories. And I think that Elie Wiesel was right. He said, you know, God made man because he loves stories. And we are God's stories. And um, so that's where I've come. And I think you have, too, on this one. I just, uh, yeah. Uh, I just think, you know, what happens is we finish one story and then we go through this incomprehensible process and then we're back on another storyline. Right.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. So we're going to take a break, friends. And when we come back, we're going to continue with God is bigger than the Bible with our friends, Dr. Raymond Moody. We'll be right back. Hey, my friend, have you known your pet in a past life? Well, believe it or not, a lot of people have. You can check out Case Histories and find out more about your connections to your little fuzzballs in my book, Past Lives with Pets. Check it out and find out today. Welcome back to Healing Arts. I'm Dr. Shelley Care. Visit me online at www.pastlifelady.com. So that's it, part two of my interview with the amazing Dr. Raymond Moody. So, you know, his discussion about that grist mill just brings back so many memories for me because. When we had that psychomanteon training, Dr. Moody held that training out at the mill. And so I got to see this property. It was absolutely phenomenal. This giant windmill and this beautiful grassy area. I mean, it just looked like we were in Holland or something. So it's just another great memory that I have of my friendship with my dear friend, Dr. Moody. And I'm just so grateful for him. And I'm very grateful for you. You are wonderful. Thank you for your friendship this year. All the things that you and I have gone through together as we navigate this wacky world and this crazy life that we're having, you know, there's just still so many things that we can be thankful for and I am thankful for you. So I hope you have a wonderful week. Please take care of yourself and in a couple of days, uh, you're going to get to hear the final part of of my three-part interview with Dr. Moody. So check it out. And meanwhile, take care of yourself and I'll see you next time on Healing Arts. Would you do me a favor? I have had some amazing news. My book, Past Lives with Pets, was nominated for a Visionary Award for 2020. Thank you so much to everyone who supported this book and who supports my work over the years. I am so very grateful and I need your help. Would you vote for my book? You can do this by going over to my website at pastlifelady.com. Click on the blog link and it'll take you to a short article I wrote and the link is there. The votes will be counted up until April 30th and just know I am so very grateful for your support and friendship over the years. I've got tons of new books coming out um, over these next few years that I hope you will love as well. Just remember when you do this survey, it's going to take a little while. There's many, many categories and you won't see Past Lives with Pets Until you get pretty far down the survey, you do need to answer every section of the survey in order for it to count. And just know that I'm grateful for the few minutes of your time and just know it means the world to me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Namaste.